Well, Brett is a, just such means the world to me. Uh, you're like a grandfather figure, really. really. Uh, and, uh, no, he really is a, just an incredible, truly an inspiration, a friend. I, he, he does things that, you know, God has not called me to, and God's not called me to him because I'm just not gifted to do them. I know, traveling the world, sharing Christ with people, making you know, disciples in this type of a, a setting, and I've really admired him for many, many years. Like he said, we've known each other for coming up on 20 years, 15 years at least, and uh, and uh, so appreciate the chance to, to come in. Really was looking forward to, to this for a while, and um, just wanted to tell you a little bit about my family. I know uh, we want to get into uh, into the text here in just a minute, but um, you know we started Not by Works Ministries in 1999. That's our our life's calling and, and ministry. My wife and I have six kids, uh, most of them grown. We have a, a 14 year old still at home, but um, we also have a Precious granddaughter, by the way, which I like to show off. That's yeah. old Zoe. Uh, I'm technically savvy, I would have put that on the screen. But anyway, she is she is adorable. Just turned three years old. Did it turn off? Yeah. Sorry. She's she's just the love of our life, and uh, so uh, God's been good to our family. We've you know spent 12 years in academics full time. That's when we started Not by Works, and then. Eventually, went all in with Not By Works. And so we travel and speak at conferences all across uh, the country. Um, have done a little bit of international work, but mostly mostly our calling is to within the, uh, the United States. And so uh, our passion at Not By Works is the clarity, accuracy, and urgency of the gospel message. And uh, one of the things that uh, we've done the last 10 years or so just seems like the Lord's kind of gravitated you know, gravitated us in that direction is Bible prophecy conferences. And so uh, these are certainly uh, unusual times. We see uh, the setting of the stage right before our very eyes and, um, you know, of, of things to come. And so uh, hopefully we'll have the time to talk about some of that in our in our time together today. But looking forward to spending the day with you. Um, and I know we're going to be, you're, you're in the middle of Greek. And uh, so I thought for our chapel, we would go to the Old Testament and give you a little break and go to Hebrew. So let's look at Proverbs chapter 3, and I want to talk about framing your worldview. Um, this is a passage that is it means a lot to uh, me and my wife. It was my father-in-law's uh, favorite verse, uh, favorite passage. Uh, he wrote it on a little piece of paper the day I married Wendy, uh, and, and, and then uh, he's with the Lord now. He passed away about 10 years ago, but um, uh, so it's, it's a passage you're probably familiar with too, but I'm calling this Framing Your Worldview. Um, and, you know, I, I, you guys have probably heard that word more than you care to remember, worldview. What is worldview? Um, back when I was first starting out in uh, teaching, it was kind of all the rage. And I used to do a lot of worldview uh, conferences, worldview weekends. I worked with Brandon House doing those types of things. And... Um, but uh, I have kind of a unique definition of a worldview. I believe your worldview is not, you know, I don't like the term Christian worldview. I prefer biblical worldview because today, um, you know, we're living in a uh, kind of a decline of Christianity in America. Where, you know, the word Christian is sometimes misapplied and it doesn't refer simply to those who have trusted Christ and Him alone for salvation. So biblical worldview is, I think, a better way for us, especially as believers, to think of it because it, it sort of implies that the Bible is the only standard for our beliefs, attitudes, and practices, that everything has to be funneled through Scripture, that this is the ultimate uh, standard. Um, 
but you know, your worldview fundamentally is how you see life. Every one of us here in this room has a lens that affects the way we see life. Um, it's how we interpret and decipher the things that life throws at us. If we had the time, and I wish we did, we could go around and I could hear your journey, hear how God's brought you to this point, hear some of the ups and downs in your life, hear the, the, the joys that you've been able to experience, and I'm certain in many cases the heartache, the, the difficulties. Um, and the older you get, uh, you know, it's been my experience, the more of those heartaches you have. You know, it's just we live in a fallen world where Satan is the prince of the power of the air, and um, and we just things don't always work out uh, the way we thought they would. Uh, doesn't mean God is a retributive God. It's not like God is some kind of a cosmic sheriff up there waiting for us to step out of line. Uh, it's just that we live in a fallen world, and something sometimes the bad things happen to good people. So, uh, but your worldview kind of helps you prepare uh, for those uh, curveballs, those uh, pitfalls as they come at you. And because your worldview affects uh, everything you do in life, it, it, it determines uh, how you see God and how you walk with the Lord. Um, you know, understanding your worldview is critical because it's there by default. Whether you identify it or recognize it, you're, you're functioning according to that worldview. And so I think it's important for all of us to kind of peel back the scalp, look inside, and kind of see how we're wired, see what makes us uh, believe what we uh, believe. Um, so most people have a very complex and convoluted worldview. Again, I wish I had the time to kind of hear each of your stories, but, you know, we pick up things along the way. You know, in my case, I was raised in a Christian family. I came to know the Lord at age six, but, you know, the journey has been quite varied. You know, uh, even before I started high school, I lived in seven states and 12 cities. Uh, my wife and I somehow have followed that pattern. We've been married 30 years and owned 12 homes and been involved in many uh, different ministries in different parts of the country. Um, but uh, it's not just geographic. You, you pick up things along the way because of your experiences, you know, things that happen to you, things, choices that you make, uh, decisions that you make. And so over a period of years, this worldview becomes layered, and more and more influences build into that worldview. You might hold one particular uh, viewpoint because you heard it on the radio, or maybe you read a book, or maybe you learned it in school, or heard a preacher say something sometime, or maybe you were watching a particularly compelling uh, TV series, and it left its mark, you know. Um, that's what TV does. Uh, they don't call it programming for nothing. It's a part of mind control pr program. But all of these things that build into our worldview, and uh, what I've discovered over the years is that a lot of what I learned, um, and I, I was a product of public schools, um, really isn't true. You know, a lot of the, the mainstream narratives that we've heard simply aren't uh, aren't true. But most people, if you were able to peel back the scalp and look at their worldview, it would probably look something like this. I mean, very simple straightforward, you know, you just kind of, if this, then this, if not, then this, then, and then this is your kind of your worldview. And what I want us to do this morning is try to simplify it, boil it all down, and allow us to sort of strip away the things that don't belong there. And when you get right down to it as biblical Christians, that's uh, what it comes down to, is being intellectually honest enough to say that when something we have held as a belief 
is contradicted in Scripture, or we come to realize the Bible does not support that view, we've got to get rid of it. And I run into this all the time with uh, people speaking at, at conferences. You know, uh, inevitably I'll step on toes with some particular issue, and people will come up to me afterwards to disagree. And after dialoguing with them for a moment or two, you find out they, they, they developed that viewpoint based on experience, that something happened in their life. Uh, remember one time I was, I don't remember what I was talking about, but I was speaking in Washington, and in the course of my message, I, for some reason, started talking about animals and the kingdom, and I mentioned that animals don't have a soul, they're not, you know, that's, that's what makes mankind unique in the image of God, is we have a soul, and we're the only eternal uh, being, uh, and, uh, and so this lady came up to me afterwards, was quite upset because she just knew that her dog was going to be in heaven. And um, I said, well, how do you know that? She said, well, I had a dream. You know, God revealed it to me in a dream. Well, um, unless you can cite chapter and verse, you know, our, our dreams are not the way God reveals revelatory uh, information. So what's your worldview? Um, when you come to Proverbs, I don't think there's a better book in the Bible that really helps us at the wisdom level, understand worldview and, and help us uh, develop it. Just a, a little bit of background on Proverbs. Uh, it's 900 plus little wisdom statements, most of them uh, written by uh, Solomon. He wrote uh, you know, chapter 1 through the middle of chapter 22, but then you have a few other authors like Hezekiah's men, Agur, Lemuel, and so forth. Uh, and uh, to put some dates with it, Solomon, of course, was about 1,000 years before Christ. He reigned 971 to 931 B.C. Hezekiah, whose men copied some of them, was uh, a couple hundred years later, 715 to 686 B.C. So we're talking several centuries before uh, Christ. Um, and uh, what's really unique about uh, Proverbs is that there's no reference to... Uh, the nation of Israel, to the sacrifices, to the temple, to those types of things, they truly are general wisdom statements that kind of help us apply biblical truth no matter what situation we may find ourselves in. Um, now, one of the things that's critical in understanding Proverbs is the distinction between a proverb and a promise. Um, how can we tell if a proverb is just that, a proverb, or an actual uh, promise, uh, infallible promise of God. It's always true all of the time. Uh, well, it's simple. If a proverb expresses a truth that is taught elsewhere in Scripture, we know it's a promise. So, for example, in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, which we're going to look at in a second, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, and all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. We have the repetition of a promise that God makes numerous times throughout His Word, that those who trust in Him will experience His guidance and direction in their lives. Um, Hebrews 11 comes to mind, the faith chapter, people who lived by faith. Um, so clearly this is a, a promise. Uh, sometimes we see Proverbs that are uh, you know, not absolute promises. They're general statements that are generally true. Uh, for example, repeatedly Proverbs talks about if you walk in the way of wisdom, you're going to uh, live to a ripe old age. You know, uh, those who walk in the way of a fool will die young. Well, that does not mean that everyone who dies tragically young was being was a consequence of sin in their lives or was a fool. Uh, generally speaking, though, if you play with fire, you're going to get burned. I mean, that's general, generally true. If you jump off a 10-story building, you're, you're probably going to die. 
doesn't mean that you should run around jumping off 10-story buildings, right? Um, so there are exceptions that doesn't impugn God's integrity. It doesn't impugn the infallibility of God's word. You just need to understand that Proverbs are just that, general statements, and it will generally go well with you if you follow these, uh, these statements. The right perspective is critical for making right responses in life. As I look back through my life, the times that I feel like I got off base, almost every one of them was if I had it to do over again, I would apply a biblical principle and recognize, uh, you know, my mistake before it happened. Um, so the right perspective is critical. And I really what I hope we take away from this as we walk through these, these two little couplets in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, it's just a, a reminder, something to, to hide away in your heart as you go through life. And who knows, maybe this very week something will happen in your life that causes you to pause and say, okay, how do I have the faith response to this? How do I respond biblically from the right worldview, the right perspective? Um, but that's my goal. <clears throat> now, sometimes people ask, you know, Solomon, the wisest man uh, in the world, uh, if he was so wise, why did he die such a fool? Remember, he died um, basically, you know, accommodating the false religious preferences of his pagan wives. He kept taking more and more wives. There's no indication in Scripture that Solomon ever repented. So how can such a wise man die such a fool? Um, I think it's a cautionary tale for all of us. He didn't follow his own advice. Remember, Solomon had said, Cease listening to instruction, my son, and you'll stray from the words of knowledge. And um, so we want to... We hold on to the Word of God. We want to continually listen to his uh, instruction. Uh, Bruce Walke put it this way, spiritual successes today are no guarantee of piety and morality tomorrow. Disciples must attend constantly to their spiritual eyes. And uh, you've probably already seen some of this, I would guess, but certainly uh, I know Brett and I can probably tell you story after story. I spent 12 years in full-time academics teaching at the college and graduate levels and made some really dear friends, still have some dear friends. But over the years since then, as I talk to my friends, I find out that this one and this one and this one and this one have all abandoned the faith and dropped out. You know, they're sidelined on the, the road of Christianity. They've divorced their wives. They've... Uh, just gotten away from the Lord, and it just breaks your heart, and you just want to shake them. If, in fact, I tried to meet with one of them in San Diego, but he wouldn't meet with me. Um, and you just want to say, what's going on? You know better. You know the Word of God. You, you taught the Word of God. You know, how can you be in this place? And these were some of the godliest people I know, smart people. But, um, you know, the goal of Bible study is to change life, not just to get smarter. I mean, the world is full of biblically brilliant but morally bankrupt people. So knowing the Word of God just puffs up. It's putting it into practice and letting the new life in Christ, you know, live out. And uh, so uh, framing your worldview of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Here's uh, kind of how I outline this passage. Very simple. The Proverbs are easy to outline because they're usually either synonymous parallelism or contrasting parallelism, uh, and they just are general principles that are true all the time. But a person, first of all, with a biblical worldview is convinced that God can be trusted. It starts with faith. It starts with faith. And that's how this little passage begins. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. 
trust in the Lord with all your heart. Uh, in First uh, Chronicles, David says to Solomon when he's announcing the fact that Solomon, his son, would be the one who built the temple, As for you, my son, Solomon, know the God of your father and serve him with a loyal heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands all the intent of the thoughts. A loyal heart. In other words, there's no reason to ever turn against God. He can be trusted. In the New Testament, Paul puts it this way in this, I love this verse in Romans 8. He who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not also with him freely give us all things? In other words, if we can trust God for what matters most in life, which is the forgiveness of sin and eternal life, man's greatest need. And presumably if you're here at this institution, you're, you know the Lord. You've trusted Christ at some point in your journey. But if we can trust him with our eternal destiny, is there anything we should not trust him for? And I had a professor in seminary years ago who was always reminding us that the method of justification is the same as the method of sanctification, faith. And so often we understand the concept of justification by faith, that it's only Faith alone and Christ alone that saves. When we trust in him, we're born again in that instance when faith meets the gospel. But then we are so quick to, as we move on from there, to try to live our lives not by faith but by sight. And, um, and I think that's what this is saying in Proverbs 3, 5, is trust in the Lord with all your heart. Proverbs goes on to say, so that your trust may be in the Lord, I have instructed you today, even you. A person with a biblical worldview is convinced that God can be trusted. Are you convinced that God can be trusted, or do you still have your doubts? Ultimately, Paul said, whatever is not a faith is sin. Um, you know, when, when things happen to you, like we, we read here in Proverbs 22, so that your trust may be in the Lord, I have instructed you today. When things happen to you, how often do you find yourself asking, okay, how is God going to use this in my life to strengthen my faith? That's the first question we should ask. Not why me, or why now, or why this, you know. We do that, and, and that's, if we're honest and transparent before the Lord, that's okay to ask those questions. David asked them all the time in the Psalms, but the key is not to dwell there. We can't allow that to sidetrack us and become bitter and angry and shake our fist toward heaven. We've got to, we can be honest with God, but we've got to very quickly resolve that into, okay, Lord, I don't know why I had this flat tire. I don't know why this happened or that happened, but I know you're trying to teach me something. And these are those little tests <clears throat> that James talks about. And, uh, and that uh, if we pass those tests, it's going to draw us closer uh, to the Lord. Uh, David put it this way in Psalm 37, commit your ways to the Lord, trust also in him and he shall bring it to pass. Now, this isn't a name it or claim it proof text. This is simply uh, a perspective proof text. If we trust in the Lord, <clears throat> then either our desires will change or his direction in our life will change and he'll give us the desire of our heart. Uh, but one way or the other, uh, God's going to bring it to pass because his ways are never thwarted. Uh, nothing can ever contravene God's sovereignty, right? <clears throat> And so, uh, in Psalm 62, another Davidic psalm, <clears throat> trust in him at all times, you people. <clears throat> Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. A good study sometime would be to go back through the Old Testament in the narratives as well as the wisdom literature, even the prophets, and find the number of times 
that God calls on his people Israel to trust in him at all times. At all times. At all times. Why do you think it says that? Because faith is the kind of the undergirding principle of our relationship with God. Our, our relationship with God begins with faith. Abraham, for example, believed God and was declared righteous. We too are justified uh, by faith. Uh, Romans 5.1, for example. But it's, it's what sustains us as well. We walk by faith uh, and not by uh, sight. That's what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.7. In fact, really understanding this principle helps avoid a lot of doctrinal mistakes. Um, for example, many people will point to 2 Corinthians 13.5, same passage, same letter, same context in, in the theme of this letter. And they'll say, oh, 2 Corinthians 13.5, you need to look at your, your behavior and see if you're really a Christian. Examine your lives, see how you're behaving, and you'll know whether or not you're really going to heaven. Remember what 2 Corinthians 13.5 says, examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. If you look up most commentaries, that's how they're going to take that passage. But that's not at all what it's saying. It's saying examine yourselves right now and see if you're walking by faith, seeing if you're doing what he said to do earlier in the letter. Um, in his first letter, he had talked about he, how he himself can be disqualified, meaning not pass the test. Adakimas is that word, not pass the test, so he wouldn't receive rewards for that. So it's, it's 2 Corinthians 13, 5, I don't have it on the screen, but it's a great reminder uh, you know, to check yourself. Hey, am I living by faith right now? Am I walking by faith or am I walking by sight? And I don't know about you, I am terrible at this. My dad tells me all the time, my dad's my greatest uh, counselor, and um, he just turned 80, watches every live stream I ever do, every video I do, listens to every podcast, he, he, he and my mom both. But um, I, through the years, he's always reminding me when I get discouraged, you know, how I need to practice what I preach, you know, walk by faith. And, um, and that's, and then that's not just a trite saying. I mean, that's fundamental to the Christian life and not easy. It's much easier to say than to do. Uh, Isaiah put it this way to the children of Israel, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you, because he trusts in you. Now, uh, the last uh, 15 years, the Lord has uh, kind of had me on a journey uh, where I've been studying, writing, and speaking at, at conferences and on radio and TV about uh, what's called the Luciferian conspiracy. And uh, that is clearly taught in Scripture. Psalm 2, for example, outlines it. And those that are Satan's accomplices here on earth trying to take over the world call themselves Luciferians. They think that uh, Satan is the hero in the garden. He was the protagonist. God is the antagonist. Uh, their writings make that very clear. They think that we should all worship uh, Lucifer, and that someday he's going to win the battle. Even though he knows the Bible and he knows how it ends, he just doesn't believe it. You know, he's self-deceived, which is the worst kind of deception. And so started down that journey, really focusing on that and, and studying it in depth. I mean, we traveled to all kinds of places, did firsthand interviews, talked to uh, people, went to major sites that are part of the, the conspiracy. And the result of that is uh, two books one uh, I have with me, Volume 1. The Volume 2 just comes out October 31st, so I don't have those yet. But uh, I wanted to mention uh, at this point that the way things are going in this world, it's going to be more and more critical for us to learn this principle of walking by faith. 
and, and, and that a person with the right worldview, a biblical worldview, is one who's convinced that God can be trusted. Because they're going to tell you uh, more and more that God can't be trusted, that God's a liar, that you've been deceived, uh, your parents you know, lied to you, you were faked out, uh, his word cannot be trusted. And so uh, what I just decided I'd like to do, if Brett will let me, is I just want to let you guys uh, pick any one book you want from the table, but I highly recommend Spirit of the Antichrist. Uh, uh, if you want to buy something, that's fine too, but I want to get, give you as a gift any book that you feel would be beneficial in your walk uh, from our resource table. So take a look at Spirit of the Antichrist. Uh, if you do want uh, the Volume 2, which I really recommend reading Volume 1 first, uh, but you can pre-order Volume 2 and I'll ship it to you. There's some little forms over there for that. I should have our inventory by the 24th. And then we released it intentionally on October 31st, Satan's favorite holiday, and kind of an in your, in your face to the Luciferians. Uh, and we love reminding Satan that he's going to lose the battle because he doesn't believe it. You know, he just doesn't believe it. But very, very crucial stuff in there. Uh, if you go to spiritoftheantichrist.org, you can read the preface to both books and see the entire table of contents so you see the topics that we, we cover in there. So I'll just bring that up now because I think it's going to be crucial for us to, to apply that first principle. But secondly, not only is a person with a biblical worldview convinced that God can be trusted, he's cautious of worldly wisdom. Cautious of worldly wisdom. So from God's vantage point, a person with a biblical worldview can see the dangers lurking ahead, trying to trip us up. And so he goes on to say, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, that is worldly wisdom. Proverbs has a lot to say about this. There's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Um, worldly, which, uh, worldly wisdom. Jeremiah the prophet says, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. But let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord exercising loving kindness, judgment, uh, righteousness, and righteousness in the earth. Colossians talks about this worldly wisdom. Uh, you're familiar with this uh, passage. It really reminds us that there are competing worldviews, which is what we're talking about. We're talking about having a consistent worldview that is based solely on the Word of God and using the Word of God to validate and invalidate whatever truth claims we might hear from all over the world. And being intellectually honest enough to say, if I believe the Bible is the Word of God, and I do, then that has to be rejected. No matter how much it makes me feel good, no matter how many other people hold that view, um, I'm going to reject it because God's Word doesn't teach it. And by the way, I used to teach leadership. We had a Bachelor of Science in Leadership at the school where I was dean. And one of the things that I... Uh, spent a whole class session talking about was definitions of leadership and the simplest definition of leadership you want to you know what a leader is a leader is one who's willing to stand alone that's it leadership is fundamentally influence uh, you don't have to have a position or a title to be a leader anyone can be a leader if you have an influence on someone else but biblical leadership is being willing to stand alone we see that model in Christ the servant leadership and at the end of the day it was just him and the cross <laughs> you know uh, the worldly wisdom, worldly counsel says a leader is having the most number of followers, right? You've heard the old tongue-in-cheek joke, if, if you know, a leader without followers is just taking a walk. You know, well, I don't agree with that. 
I don't agree with that. I don't think you define leadership by how many people are following you. Uh, anybody can get followers, right? Leadership is being willing to stand alone, and that's becoming harder and harder to do. In the new book, we have a whole chapter on the, the rise of anti-Christian sentiment in America. And it will blow you away, some of the things that, uh, some of them I'm sure you've heard about, the stories, and some of them you haven't, but certainly what's coming it does not look uh, very positive. So in Colossians 2, we have uh, the, the first and only use of the word philosophy in the Bible. And I find that interesting because it's used in a negative context here. Uh, philosophy, so phileo, love, sophia, wisdom, love of wisdom, but in the context it's worldly wisdom. Look at what he says. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy, empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. Um, in our world, philosophy has a positive connotation, right? Uh, I know we're about out of time here, but just to give you a quick history, up until the turn of the 20th century, theology was really the queen of the sciences. The people that were the most respected, the most studied, uh, the most educated were those who studied theology. And all the great institutions of America were founded as theological institutions. And the highest degree you could get was a THD, a doctor of theology. That was a terminal degree. And if you were blessed to be able to study at the highest levels, and you had that degree, that was, that was considered a, a, you know, a badge of uh, honor, right? Back in the pioneer days when the, the preachers would ride the circuit and come to town, everybody would stop what they were doing. They would come out of the fields. They would take a day off. They would gather in the town uh, square, and they would listen to these preachers talk about godly wisdom, theological wisdom. But with the rise of higher criticism, and, and, you know, the devil's influence through um, the compulsory government schooling system and the Rockefellers and the uh, Carnegie's and all of those uh, satanic people, uh, we got away from that so that eventually schools got away from calling them THDs and now they're PhDs, you know. Um, and uh, I, you know, that, that bothers me because... Uh, you know, I want, at the time I was in academics, I had, I was required to go on and get my uh, doctorate. And, and I know I've never, you know, everybody just calls me JB. I've never worn that on my shoulders. I don't even think about it anymore. I've been out of academics for so long. But I always wished that I had been studying in the day, like so many of our great men of the faith, that we read their textbooks in dispensational theology when I would have earned a PhD. Because a PhD to me is embarrassing. I don't want a doctorate in worldly philosophy. I want, to, I want to know all I can about the Word of God. But this is one of those competing worldviews, and a, a person with a biblical worldview is cautious of worldly wisdom. That's why First John said uh, in verse uh, 1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God. The whole premise for the Spirit of the Antichrist series, two books, and we have a DVD series too, comes from First John 4, 3. It reminds us that one Antichrist, capital A, is coming, and Daniel talks about that. Revelation talks about that. Paul talks about it in 2 Thess 2. There's going to be one uh, satanically indwelt human being who rules the world as a satanic tyrant uh, for seven years uh, after the rapture. But he, he says in 1 John 4, 3, even though one Antichrist is coming, today many Antichrists, little a, have already come. And he goes on to say the spirit of the Antichrist is already at work in the world today, 1 John 4, 3. 
So uh, if the spirit of the Antichrist is already at work and we're getting closer and closer to the return of Christ, we ought to see an upsurge in some of those characteristics of the Antichrist. So I went through Scripture, found uh, all every verse that talks about the Antichrist, every single one, made a list of every characteristic of the future Antichrist, and we have a lot of data in the Bible about him what he's going to be like, what his temperament's like, what he's going to do, the things he's going to say, and the decisions he's going to make. And then I collated all those characteristics down into seven categories. And this is what the Antichrist is going to be like in, in the seven-year tribulation. And then based on 1 John 4, 3, I said, well, if that spirit's already here, let's take those seven characteristics and see if we're seeing a rise in those things. And it is stunning uh, what we found. And so I list the seven spirits of the Antichrist. Volume 1 deals, deals with the first spirit, volume 2, two through seven, and, uh, and uncover a lot of the lies that, that they've been telling us. So we want to be cautious about the worldly wisdom, but number three, a person with a biblical worldview is comprehensive in his approach to life. And this we've kind of said several different ways already, but I just want to zero in on it. A person with a comprehensive worldview sees life through a set of glasses that are broad and, and everything you see is run through that grid of scripture rather than a telescope. And so often we face decisions and situations in life where we zero in on that issue. We obsess on it. We we're you know, uh, you know, uh, just completely focused in on that very myopic. Uh, and, uh, and we forget to step back and, and look through the lens of scripture. Uh, so we'll see that here in verse Six, but last week I wrote an article that was picked up by Harbingers called Seeing the Invisible. And last night as I was reviewing uh, for this session, uh, it kind of came to my mind that, yeah, that article really is a lot, even though I'm not dealing with Proverbs 3 in the article, uh, it's really a lot about this idea of a worldview and framing your worldview. So I encourage you to check that out. We've linked to it on our website at notbyworks.org. You can go to Harbingers Daily. But um, Proverbs 3 going on, it says, In all your ways acknowledge him in all your ways acknowledge him in all your ways. Uh, you know, the medical doctor knows a great deal about medicine, but does he know about life? <laughs> the lawyer knows a great deal about the law, but does he know about life? The engineer knows a great deal about his or her chosen field of study, but does he know about life? The accountant can handle complex mathematical equations, but what does he know about life? You can be an expert in many important areas of study and yet spectacularly unwise when it comes to the big picture of life. And Solomon said, in all your ways, acknowledge him. We like to compartmentalize, right? Um, you know, God, church, the Bible, theology, doctrine, all that's just for Sundays, right? But a person with a biblical worldview knows better. He knows that we have to have a comprehensive view of life. In Philippians 4, one of Paul's prison epistles, he put it this way, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. James said, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all men liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. You know what I love about that verse? Uh, is that, God is never going to chide us for coming back to him again and again seeking wisdom. He's never going to say, you again? Man, don't, didn't you get it last time? Here's how you handle this situation. No. Keep coming to him. Keep seeking wisdom. Keep seeking his answers. He'll never chide you for that. Um, in everything, 
it's a comprehensive view of life. And then finally, the, the fourth little stanza of this two-couplet section reminds us that a person with a biblical worldview is confident in the decisions that he makes. You know, when you know where you're going, you know who's in charge, you know how it all fits in, that God's got this, then you can take the next step with confidence. Your journey is going to be much less tentative and, and doubtful. He says, in all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. Psalm 119, 105 says, God's word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Uh, I, in my uh, bedroom, uh, in, in our bedroom, I keep a little, one of those little flashlights on my nightstand. You know why I do that? It's not to, to spot dangerous intruders at night or to protect myself from a bear on my porch. When we lived in the mountains, we had bears all the time. One summer, we had 27 bears in our property. <laughs> Not at the same time, but we counted them. So, and presumably, a lot of those were the same one, but it was 27 sightings right on our porch. One of them was literally on our porch. Wendy was sitting with a, her back in a lounge chair. We were sitting in the family room, and the sliding door was open, and Abby, our youngest, was sitting right there. All of a sudden, she screamed. There was a bear. When he had turned around, she could have touched it. Big old black bear. But um, so anyway, I did the thing, the thing that every godly man and husband would do. I screamed and ran out of the house the other way. <laughs> but uh, why do I keep a flashlight? Is it is it to avoid you know intruders? No, it's for a far greater danger. Legos. <laughs> when I get up at night and have to go to the restroom and walk across the living room, I want to make sure that I don't step on something or stub my stub my toe. And you know, if you have a biblical worldview, you don't have to be tentative. You don't have to wonder because you sort of see through the right lens all that God is doing and what what's happening in life. That's why Paul. Paul said, in him we have boldness and access with confidence through him in faith. Do I have a bold faith? Because I belong to Christ. I am in Christ. Philippians 1.6, Paul said, being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in me will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Hebrews talks a lot about this kind of faith. Hebrews says, without faith it's impossible to please God. And one of the passages says, therefore do not... Cast away your confidence, which has great reward. That word, uh, cast away, is, is to fling away carelessly, is the idea. I can remember years ago, I was um, mowing the lawn. We lived in Illinois at the time. I was mowing the lawn in the back yard, and as I'm mowing, it was just a walk-behind mower, I looked up ahead. There was something shiny that caught the, the glimpse of the sun, and I reached over, and it was a washer that big. And I thought, well, I don't want the mower to go over that and throw it into the window and break a window or hurt somebody. So I reached over and we lived out in the woods and up next to a great big ravine down to a creek. And I just reached down, picked up and just flung it, flung it away. Didn't think a thing about it. Five minutes later, as I'm mowing, the front wheel falls off the mower. Oh. <laughs> it turns out the nut had come off and that was the washer from it. <laughs> Uh, you can bet in that moment I was wished I'd have been a little more deliberative and, and thought about it before I just carelessly threw it away. Um, so don't cast away your confidence. 
I love uh, the words of the prophet uh, Habakkuk. You're familiar with this passage. Uh, this is, I think, uh, saying the same thing back in the days of Israel, uh, that no matter what's happening in life, don't give up your faith. Don't cast away your confidence. He said, though the fig tree may not blossom, nor the fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail and the fields yield no food, Though the flock may be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet and will make me walk on the high hills. Uh, reminds me of what Job said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. David said it in a more well-known passage, the 23rd Psalm, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So there it is. A, a biblical worldview is convinced that God can be trusted and cautious about worldly wisdom, comprehensive in his approach to life, and confident in the decisions that he makes. So what's your underlying foundation for your worldview? I hope it's faith. I hope it's faith in the word of God. Uh, that's how you came to know the Lord in the first place. And if he will... If you can trust him for that need, your eternal destiny, you can trust him for everything else in life. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for uh, just this reminder, nothing profound, nothing we did not already know, but Lord, our faith is challenged every day in many ways from every direction. And Lord, we, we want to be men and women of faith. We want to be men and women who, whatever life may throw this way, whatever may happen in this crazy mixed up world of ours, we hold our heads high and trust you. So, Lord, we confess our weak faith. We pray that you would strengthen our faith, draw us closer to you, draw us into your word, knowing that the more we know you, the more we'll trust you. And so, Lord, we pray that we would get to know you even better through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So thank you very much, Dr. Dixon.